Thank you. Uh, we appreciate you guys being in here. I was going to apologize uh, that we couldn't get more in, but you don't need an apology. You got in. Uh, <laughs> let me just say uh, what is why it's like that. You, the number of people would have it probably should have been a bigger room, but this is a last minute addition, and so that's why it's a smaller room because this just started happening after we planned the art conference and all of the breakouts. So we're just uh, really honored. Uh, to be here. Uh, we don't have a script. Um, we're just going to kind of flow a little bit, tell you our story, tell you what we think God is doing, have time for Q&A. And, you know, if we're talking about the supernatural, we probably ought to pray while we're in here. And uh, so, um, yeah, um, it uh, kind of started, uh, and I'll tell a little bit of the first part, and then Josh, you can kind of take it from there. Um, one of the reasons I'm wearing a hat is because uh, a week before Thanksgiving, my youngest daughter, Jenny, who is here at the conference with us, we found out she had cancer and uh, she has um, uh, breast cancer. And uh, so as a dad, what dads do is provide and protect. And some of you have been through this and I've heard many brave stories, but um I felt helpless, not hopeless, but helpless. And so I thought, well, I'm going to shave my head so that she doesn't have to go through that by herself. And the hat is because a uh, few guys are bald, but it's cold when you're not used to, <laughs> especially at Highlands where they keep the temperature uh, especially nippy, but, uh, which is good. We stay awake. Uh, but so Jenny um, uh, found out she had cancer. And then we always do a 21 days of prayer and fasting. And so uh, we began that on first Wednesday in January. That's kind of our habit, how, how we always do it, starting first Wednesday. And Josh um, said, well, t tell, tell us kind of what you're... Well, yeah, so this, this happens. We'd had a few sicknesses prior to that. My mother-in-law uh, had a pretty severe illness. And there was one guy on our... our worship team named Micah Nichols, who's tours with the band Need to Breathe right now. Good friend of mine. He's been on our team for a long time. And uh, about a year ago, right now in April, uh, he had been struggling for five or six years with MS, uh, a specific kind in his stomach that was just, it was a, a nightmare. He would literally play the opening worship set for us and he'd go back in the back and lay in a fetal position on the floor. And then he'd get back up and come and play the, the response set uh, with the way we do our church. But God uh, supernaturally healed him a year ago in April. And there was a friend of a friend that lived in Nashville that, um, that called him on the phone. They prayed over the phone. And uh, during that, that phone call, God healed him. And so literally it's a year later, he's not had any of those issues uh, whatsoever. And so that was really cool. And so when Jenny got sick, um, like dad said, you know, the enemy can mess with me all day long. I feel like I can handle myself, but when he messes with the people that you love, uh, it really uh, hits you uh, where it hurts. And so I'm trying to figure out what are we going to do? And so I just thought, you know what, Micah, you've got a friend that prayed for you and God seems to have a, a touch on his life for healing. Uh, I want to bring him in and have him pray for my sister. Uh, I'll do whatever I can do. I, you know, my thought was I will leverage whatever influence or resource I have to to try to help my sister in whatever way I can. And so that I really felt a prompting uh, from the Lord and I felt it just as confidently as you guys feel yours. It was about a 2% uh, thought, <laughs> but it was, hey, there's a lot of people in our church that, that need healing. Why not open this up for everybody? Um, and so we go to first Wednesday to launch this fast and I'm at the, up at the end doing the announcements and I told everybody, hey, at the end of this fast, so uh, the, on the third or fourth Wednesday of the month, which is 21 days in, we're going to do a service. Um, and I had called to see if this guy would come in and help lead us in a service. And he said, sure, he'd love to. And it was like, I couldn't get the words out of my mouth. I, I said, it's going to be a celebration service. Uh, the word in my mind was miracle, but I felt like I was afraid to say that because I couldn't cash that check. Uh, and so I said, it's going to be a, a celebration. It's going to be a, you know, a, a prayer and I just felt like God was like, get the, just get the guts to say it. And I was like, you know what, guys, I'm just going to say it. We're going to have a miracle service on January 23rd. Come if you need a miracle. 
And I immediately thought, what have you just said? Like, uh, that's false advertising. We don't know how to do miracles. You know, we, we just kind of were desperate and needed, needed God to move. And so, um, so sure enough, we've got our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And then we had this service on January 23rd. And uh, we brought in this guy, his name's Josh Silverberg, and he's not a pastor. Uh, he's not a um, professional. Uh, he's, he's a musician, songwriter, producer out of Nashville. Uh, God of Miracles. Uh, so some of you have sung that. Uh, he's one of the four writers on that song. And so he came and we had some t- time of prayer um, together the day before uh, the morning of that service. He came over to my house, prayed over my sister, uh, prayed over several of us. And I was driving him back to lunch and he asked me, he said, Josh, you guys are Seacoast. Uh, you could have brought in anybody uh, who does this, who's got the gift of healing. Um, why did you call me? And, you know, what I was thinking is, hey, I don't know any of those people. Uh, we do things relationally here at Seacoast. So nobody comes because of a name to Seacoast. And that's not a prideful thing. It's just how we've always done it. Like God gives you friends. And so we, we, we'd rather hang out with friends than uh, strangers. And so we just bring people that we know. And I said, all I know is that God used you to, to do a miracle in the life of my friend. And so that makes you a friend of mine. And so we're bringing you in. And he said, well, man, I'm just so grateful and honored. Uh, you know, I've never done this before. And I was like, well, what do you, what do you mean? He said, well, I mean, I've prayed for the, I mean, it was amazing. Even the night before we'd had dinner, we led our server to Christ. Just these guys are young, wild-eyed Christians that just believe that the Bible actually is true but he'd never preached at a church before. He'd never led a church through a service. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So I call my dad. I'm like, all right, we got a, we, we got a problem. Uh. <laughs> so uh, the, it turns out that my daughter can't come to the service that we created a service for because she had chemo treatment. Was it her first chemo? No. no. Second, one. Second one. She had chemo treatment the day of the, service and that just totally wiped her out so we had them come over to josh's house the day of the service early in in the morning and pray over my daughter and then pray over my son jason uh, josh's brother who had uh, really bad plantar fasciitis ended up having surgery uh, uh, over that and then they set me down in a chair and said would you like to have prayer and i said well sure you know whatever and and um, I can't tell you anything that's re- really wrong. They said, well, can we lengthen your legs? And I thought, yeah, give me about three on each side because <laughs> I'm, uh, you know, challenged in that way. And, uh, and so they did a leg lengthening, which I personally don't go for. I think it's a parlor trick. That's just who, what I think. And so, so now on Wednesday afternoon, we... Josh calls me with the information that, A, they've never done a service before in a church. Ours is fairly large. And B, they want to do leg lengthenings, uh, which I just don't go for. And so we called them in before the service, and I said, guys, we're going to put some guardrails here. I want to be full of faith, but we just we don't do leg lengthenings. Uh, we think Jesus can heal without that. And they were like, great, awesome, it's your house, whatever you want to do, let's do it. Wonderful, wonderful attitude. We're still a little nervous about them not <laughs> having ever done this before. Then we asked him, did he reveal where he learned how to pray? No, that was while he was preaching. That was while he was preaching. Yeah. So I'll, I'll let you tell that. But so what we did was we said, okay, it's going to be about an hour and a half service. We've got child care and all that. And we're going to have, you're going to have about 15 minutes. I think we gave him 15 minutes. 15. Okay. I, I don't want to misrepresent Josh. Uh, you'll know his name one day. Uh, there is a, a unique gift on his life. It's just that it hadn't been expressed in, in that way yet. So it's really amazing and, and cool how God did it. Well, um, we gave him 15 minutes. Uh, our service started at 630. Uh I, I left after we prayed for our last person, which was at 1.30 in the morning on Wednesday night. Uh, so we went a little long. Um, 
And what happened is we did some, uh, some prayer time uh, where he, he shared a little bit of his story. He announced to the church that he'd really learned how to pray for people on YouTube, um, which was cool. Um, the Bible and YouTube. I mean, he did say he's read the scripture, but it's scripture and YouTube. And, uh, and so, but, you know, our church kind of really embraced that. Uh, that's kind of our, our style, I guess. But, um, and so what, what we did is, and some of you have been in services like this. I had not by the way. And Seacoast, uh, we definitely have our roots in the Assemblies of God, but we launched as a non-denominational church. Um, We uh, definitely would consider ourselves to be a spirit-filled church, but uh, it would probably be a surprise to most of the people that attend on the weekends to to attach a charismatic label to Seacoast. We've always kind of rejected labels, period, because we think that they, you know, kind of create um, false ideas of what that means. Everybody has their own interpretation of it. But what I'm trying to say is that this wasn't on our radar this year. This wasn't something that we thought, hey, let's go after this healing thing. Um, but, but literally, so we did these words of knowledge at the beginning where we just kind of had a few uh, areas of illness. And one of the first ones was hearing loss. And one of my friends, Cody Carlton, who I've known for a long time, he's a leader in our church, stood up. And I knew that he has a a disease called Meniere's disease, which is, uh, doesn't have a, a cure, uh, but it's basically a equilibrium and hearing loss. He had 30% hearing in both of his ears. And then I knew that over the month of January, he had actually missed two doctor's appointments because he fell and broke furniture in his home because it, his equilibrium was getting really out of whack. And so is this on or not on anymore? Okay. Then he goes, some of you have an equilibrium issue. And Cody stood up, or he was already standing, and he waved his hand. He said, that's me too. And the guy looked at him and said, it's, it's your night tonight. I can tell that already. And so then he just said a short prayer uh, over those things and then moved on, asked if anybody had been healed. And Cody raised his hand and said, yeah, I have. Well, then we do testimony time about maybe 20 minutes later, 30 minutes later, in testimony time, uh, he asked people to come up if they felt like God had healed them, like they knew a tangible difference. And it started, there were about five or six people that immediately went up. And probably 10 minutes into testimony time, there was a line that went from our stage all the way around the back of our, our worship center, all the way around, almost halfway around the worship center. And it went on and on and on. Totally out of control. How many of you do open mic testimony times in your church services? Yeah, we, we don't. Uh, we hadn't up to that point. But man, when, when Cody was about the third person to come and he had taken his hearing aids out and he was like, guys, I can hear a hundred. He said, as soon as you prayed, I felt a pop in my, my ears and I can hear a hundred percent. And then he started like doing cuts, you know, on the, on the floor. Like he was his equilibrium. He was like, it's, it's all better. Uh, Cody was walking with a cane. He's 45, 46 years old. He was walking with a cane. He went to Israel with us, and we were just really, uh, and I think that if I didn't know the people that had been impacted, and if I hadn't prayed and poured a whole lot of energy and, and time and prayer into seeing these people be healed, I probably would be skeptical of all of this. These are my friends. These are our church. These are the people in our church. And um, his story, he went back to an audiologist about four weeks later. Uh, to an appointment, and he has 100% hearing in both of his ears, and no sign, no sign whatsoever of, um, of Meniere's disease, which is not a treatable, it's, it's not a curable thing. And so, um, so anyways, the night goes on and on. Uh, I looked at dad about three hours in, because dad, like, I don't know if you would want me to admit this, you weren't real excited about this idea at the very beginning. You were kind of like, oh gosh. There's a reason he used to be AG and he's not anymore. And some of it is that I think all of us would acknowledge we've either seen some things that were weird or greedy, or there were some stuff that happened alongside of some of these signs and wonders that turned people off to uh, some of that. And we've also been disappointed a lot. I mean, uh, my heart as a pastor is with the people who haven't been healed, uh, because that's where I think, but what I have learned, and we'll get into some of our learnings in a little bit, but one of the biggest things I've learned is that um, disappointment and even false expressions, like that shouldn't be my starting point for how I pray or what I believe God can do. And that had been for about the last 20 years of my ministry, um, if I'm just being honest. 
But I looked at that about three and a half hours in and I said, oh yeah, maybe two and a half hours in. And so I looked at him. He was on the second row. I was on the first row. And I, I leaned back and I said, dad, I know I got us into this, but I need your help getting us out of it. I have no idea how we're going to land this plane. Like it's, we are nowhere near the runway. <laughs> so I, uh, so we're still during, doing testimony time right now. And I look up and I told my wife, we got to shut this bad boy down. I don't know how she said, uh, well, don't cut anybody off. I said, look at the line. It just keeps getting longer. And so finally somebody took a breath. I hopped up on the stage and said, you know what, uh, this is awesome, which it, by that point, I really thought it was awesome. It was just unbelievable. But I said, we've got nursery workers, and we're going to have to have healings in the nursery if we don't get the kids out. And so go get your kids, and we're just going to continue to pray. And I thought it would kind of peter out, you know, after a few minutes. And it just was getting started. And uh, then... Um, then we just invited people to come down and pray. We had trained a few prayer team uh, people, and Josh and I were praying for people. But um, uh, uh, Wes and um, Josh <clears throat> said, if you are terminal illness, we want to be sure and pray for you, which immediately put a line with them out the door. They didn't mean to do that. They didn't, they, they're, not, you know, they're not trying to bring it to themselves. They're just saying they're real compassionate. And if there are terminal illnesses, people had brought people in wheelchairs, people that had cancer. And here's where I started to get irritated, irritated because I like things done decent and in order. And I want people to be served well, okay? Well, as the hours went on, you had people standing in line for hours, standing in line for hours. And I was all focused. I was kind of like the, uh, was it the the Martha? Let, let's get the let's get it all right while Mary is enjoying what's going on. I remember one one little story of mine. I uh, so this late the, the lines are massive and all of this, and this lady comes up to me and she's just desperate. She says, "My husband's in a wheelchair and I need these guys to pray for him." I said, "Well, let, let me check." And there's just no way we're getting through. And so I Tara was up on the stage, but um, I said. Um, where's your husband? She says, he's over there. I said, okay, let's go up. And we kind of tiptoed behind the worship singers up on the stage over to the other side where her husband was. And I thought, let's see if we can get him here. And there's no way I can get him in for prayer. And uh, so um, I, I just told her, I said, you're just going to have to park him over here for a while. And when the line goes down, uh, maybe we'll do it. This is like three hours in. Well, the line never went down. So I looked over there an hour later, and a group of elders and prayer team had figured out that he wasn't going to get to the front of the line. They circled up and prayed for him, and I watched that guy get out of his wheelchair and walk a couple of times around the building. It was just phenomenal. Um, tell you, should we tell him the story about the kid? So, so there was a, um, a young guy, I think college kid, went to school about three hours away from where the church was. And he normally went to one of our campuses. He was watching online. And so he had friends who were not believers. And he told them, he said, you ought to, you ought to go online and watch this. This is posted on a, a link on his Instagram or something. Posted something on his Instagram. So one of his friends who was not a believer was at another guy or at a house somewhere. Another guy was there who, a friend of his who hadn't walked since he was five years old, 21 years old. And you, you got to get this picture, non-believers, okay? Um, at some point in the night, and I'll just clean it up, but they, one of them looked at the other one and said, well, maybe we should pray. And so, <laughs> and so they prayed, and then the friend that's a church guy, I'm getting this all wild, you got to follow it, sent both Josh and I the text that his friend sent, friend sent to him that basically said something like this, you know I'm not a believer, but we prayed, and whatever his name is, got out of a wheelchair and started walking in the dorm room, and he said, uh, uh, I am now a follower of Jesus Christ. Yeah. 
Um, we could tell you stories all night, but I want to tell you one more because it was so cool um, and, and uh, a picture of what the night looked like. We have some elders in our church that are probably in their late or mid-40s or so, and her sister uh, is a hand surgeon, lives in Texas, and um, she had been diagnosed with cancer years ago, had a recurrence. It had come back now. It was a full-blown like uterine and all endometrial cancer all throughout her midsection. And um, 42 years old, she's got three young kids, and she'd been to MD Anderson, been doing all of, all that she could. Well, Julie, who is her sister that was in our service, stood in line with her seven children uh, and her husband for three hours to FaceTime her sister and, and just for us to pray over her via FaceTime. And so we pray over her via FaceTime and just prayed, you know, that the cancer would be gone and um, and... I thought, man, what a cool story because they just had the faith. I told her that the story of the woman with the bleeding issue just came to mind of just reaching out for the hem of Jesus's robe and that they were just so faithful. And I was ready to tell that story as a testimony. And on Saturday night at church, I went up to them and said, hey, I just want to tell you how encouraged I was about your faith that you guys stood in that line. And she was like, well, have I told you the rest of the story? And I said, no, what happened? She said her sister went in on Friday to her normal uh, routine treatment. It was chemo treatment. They ran a test beforehand and her doctor told her, we, we can't do chemo because I can't detect any cancer. I don't know what's going on. Well, the woman goes, no, no, no. She didn't have faith for it. She's like, no, we're doing chemo. Like, well, let's, let's keep on the treatment. And then they went back about a week later and did the full PET scan and did the whole scan of all their body. Not a single trace of cancer in her body. And the doctor is going, we've seen the scans side by side. He's going, this is a miracle. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what's going on, but this is a miracle. And um, I just got a text. It was funny. I, I prayed this morning knowing that we were going to have some time with you guys and just said, God, I want to give me a, a fresh story. And um, so I got a text during the last session, the morning session, and uh, some of our very best friends, um, we travel together, just love them to death. They had called me. This was a subsequent service that we had. It's been happening ever since. It wasn't just this one night. It's been happening every weekend. We've made room for more services. And um they brought their mother-in-law who had the same story, terminal cancer in all kinds of different areas that had spread to the bones. And so we brought her in and we prayed over her. Her name was Tori, is Tori. Um, and I remember God gave us kind of this victory. Uh, it was like, you know, Tori is short for victory. He's going to give you victory here. Prayed over her. She texted me this morning, walking out of the uh, bone biopsy appointment, or they just got the results back from that. And she was like, I'm crying. I cannot believe this. She's 100% cancer-free. There's no cancer in her body. Um, and so, guys, hundreds of stories, hundreds of them. And it's funny because the next, so so one thirty in the morning, we finished. The very last person, sorry, I have to tell you one more story, was one of our worship leaders, uh, Caroline Collins. And she's just a sweet girl, grew up in our church, probably 20, 21 years old. And um, she had been praying for people. She was just in the mix. Uh, by the way, our worship team is totally jacked up now. I don't know what's happened to them, but we'll be in the middle of a worship set and I'll just see guitars laying on the platform and they're out praying for people in the, in the service. Like we've lost total control. Um, but uh, it is, yeah. Yeah, we still have, I mean, we still have umpteen services on the weekend, half hour between. We're, we're doing quick services and but we're just making room for prayer uh, is all we're, we're just making that a priority in our service time and people are coming and they're, and they're coming in droves. And so, um, so Caroline was the worship leader that uh, waited to the very end and her brother is a drummer and he kind of pushed her as we were all getting ready to go. He was like, you need, how bad do you want this? And he pushed her in and she was born with flat feet. And so she had had no arches in her feet and she'd had you know, physical therapy appointments throughout her childhood, knee issues and, you know, kind of joint issues that were related to that. Didn't think it was a big deal. She's lived with it all of her life, but she was like, okay, you know, I, I have flat feet and uh, I'd love to have arches. And so I was standing behind her uh, while a team s stood in front of her. And y'all, these prayers are like 10 second long prayer. Nobody's like, it's, it's really changed. And we can talk about that. Some, if you guys want to change my, my whole paradigm about prayer, and I'd love to share some of that, but very quickly, hands on her feet. God, we just pray that you'll form arches at her feet. And I watched with my own eyes. I'm a skeptic. I didn't grow up in all of this stuff. I watched her feet 
begin to bend and form arches. She didn't know it. She's standing there with her eyes closed. And so it was literally a 10, 15 second prayer. Uh, we're all, those of us with our eyes open are like, oh, what, what did you, did you see that? Oh my, you know, just freaking out. And then she opens her eyes and we said, look at your feet. And she pulls her foot up and she looks at her feet and she just crumbles to the ground, crying, sobbing, could not believe that God had healed her feet. Now for like a week, I was texting her, do you still have arches in your feet? What's going on? You know, like, because you, you go home that night. I went home and I had two, two competing emotions. Um, number one was uh, gratitude, you know, because again, we don't know any of these stories yet. We know that the one foot one we've heard people share, but we, are, we were slow to, to like embrace all of this. I wanted, I wanted to see evidence of healing. I, I was the one that was literally following up with everybody. No, I want to know for real. I know it was an emotional night, but I want to know for real. And so we didn't know the magnitude of what we were dealing with yet. But so I was grateful that God had moved in that way. But I, I told my wife when I walked in the house at two o'clock in the morning, I think we ruined our church. And I was genuinely concerned. Like, I think that we have ruined our church. Uh, I, and the second thought is, I don't know how to lead this. I can't lead this. This isn't my dream come true. I, I'm, I'm thankful for it, but I liked our last church a lot. Like that's the one that I signed up for. Um, we've always been very, uh, in fact, I'll even say it. We haven't been afraid of the seeker sensitive label. Like we love seeing lost people come to Jesus. We do. And so we always think about seekers and our, our planning of our services. And we, we, you know, do stuff for believers too, but we just believe that, um, God has a heart for people who don't know him yet. And so that's, that's the, that's 31 years of history of Seacoast. So I love that. And this felt very out of control to me. Turns out lots of people are getting saved. Turns out Jesus likes to use healing to bring people to Christ. Huh? I went and reread the new Testament and it's like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. And so, um, so, so really, uh, you know, the next morning we just gathered as a team and we were like sharing stories. Of course, emails are coming and texts are coming like crazy. Oh my gosh, did you hear about so-and-so? Did you hear about this? Did you hear about that? that then, uh, then Stovall Weems calls me and I'm like, oh gosh, we've really stirred something up if Stovall's calling. And, uh, and you know, he's just, I, I get this text. I heard about a seven and a half hour service and people being healed and people getting out of wheelchairs. And he was like, I just, I'm like, who is this? Who is this? And I said, Seacoast. Oh my gosh. See, I'm like, what? You didn't believe that we would do this? And he said, no, I just knew you wouldn't manufacture this because uh, it's not in our DNA to go after this sort of a thing. And, um, and so, uh, so that began kind of this journey that we've been on now for a few months. And um, I think if, if I could just share a couple of thoughts. for, I want you to share the thoughts. I just want to give just a, a one or two more kind of insights into kind of where some of us are thinking. All of us, who knew people. I had a friend that first night that wasn't even in the building. And it, we've talked this through. She is, um, in the Bible, they talk about the Bereans are more noble than others because they study the word. Well, that's her. She she's a skeptic about everything that's not exactly in the word and has been raised in the church of Christ, which wasn't real open to all of that. And so she was home and had been uh, battling a, a certain type of thing for three months. And it was, she was in so much pain that night at home and uh, she didn't even pray for it, but her husband prayed for her who is equally as skeptical of all this, but thought, Hey, what the heck? Let's throw one up. You know, you never know. Could be the lottery, whatever healed like this. And so we're all have friends. It's just one of them. We have hundreds of stories. We're calling them. Are you still healed? Are you still, because we want to make sure, um, a couple of weeks ago on a, on a Saturday night, um, I prayed for, uh, a friend of mine's daughter. Uh, he's, uh, former CEO of Fisher Price Toys. Daughter comes down in, in the line that I was at, pray for her. I said, how can I pray? She has autoimmune disease and manifested in real, a lot of pain in her joints and stuff. Couldn't hardly even walk down to the thing. And I had two emotions. One of them was compassion like I've never felt. I'm, all these people are desperate, just compassion. The second one was, I'm not Wes or Josh. Um, I, I, 
that's a big disease. I don't know if I'm even capable. And thinking also, well, what if she doesn't and all those, those kind of things. And I just prayed for her. Didn't feel a thing. Didn't sleep much that night. Next afternoon, she texts me on Facebook and says, oh, I thought I'd tell you that when you prayed for me, there was a warmth that came all over me. I walked back to my chair, have not felt a pain since then. Her daddy, who's just a good friend of mine, texts me the next day and says, we might have a healing here. We'll just see. Well, we're like two weeks uh, into that thing, and she has had no pain whatsoever. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And we've got all kinds of stories like that. Do you want me to, before you give a principle, just tell about how we did the second service? So so we so we thought, okay, what, what do we do with this? I'm, I've read all kind of revival stories now, and usually in a revival, a lot of times, the local church doesn't survive, okay? They're not there at the end of it, and we're like big local church people, and so Josh is feeling, have we messed up our church? We, we feel that in a sense. In a sense, we want to go, okay, but we also, and he'll t- talk to you a little bit about how we put up guardrails, and also, I've got a... Um, if you look look up seacoast.org, I wrote a paper on how we're kind of stewarding this. But uh, we decided, well, we're not going to do it every night. We know that. And uh, then we thought, well, let's just do it one more time on first Wednesday. Uh, just make a night for healing prayer. Well, you have to understand, we're building a new facility. that will see a little over 2,500 seats. But the one that we're in right now in our original location there has 1,200 seats in it. So we do a first Wednesday. In order to get into the auditorium, you had to be there an hour and 15 minutes early and stand in line. 3,000 people tried to get into that building that night. We, it felt like this. We, we put them everywhere. Everywhere we had space and a television where we could uh, view it, we did. We got nearly 3,000 in. And then there's a parking lot. There's a shopping center next door. And there were cars in the shopping center next door that were watching it on their phones and then coming over and, and going through the prayer lines because they couldn't get in the building. That's the magnitude of the thing. So uh, after that one, somebody said to me, man, my friends came and they loved it. They were healed. When are we going to have another one? They want to bring their friends. And I said, exactly where would we put them? We have no idea. So we've not had a third service until we get into the new building, and we'll figure that out. But like Josh said, we've made room without changing the overall scope of the direction that we feel like God has given us uh, in the weekend services. But tell us a little bit about what what you're learning or what you think. Yeah, well, the couple of thoughts that I felt like, because I really, I took the next three days, I was just trying to figure this out. Like, I really didn't feel like I could lead a movement like this. I didn't know what, I, I just didn't. Um, and let me just tell you guys, if God can do this at Seacoast, he can do it in your church. We are, there's nothing special about us. I didn't think of myself like I've now seen multiple times. It's been really amazing to see God heal somebody that I prayed for. Uh, I didn't have faith that even that could happen. I I prayed for too many people and not seen that happen in my life. And I think I began to pray through the lens, the truth of of God's word. And uh, but so I just say that to say like this: we we are not here to say, hey, we're the healing you know people. We're just extremely blessed by God. And I think it came out of some principles. Number one uh, is follow Jesus. It's really funny to say that because you'd think that we all have that down uh, pretty pat, but we also have churches with goals and structures and all that stuff. And we had our all staff meeting first one of the year, right after that service where I was supposed to present the goals for the year. And I I really thought, uh, and, and just in praying, it was like, man, none of what we've been experiencing was on anybody's goal sheet. It was a prompting from the Lord to say, hey, why don't you make room for some more people that need to be healed? That's all that was. And it was just a hunch. I didn't know. I felt very insecure having invited people to this party that I didn't know how I was going to go. Um, and so I just feel like these, and, and, and a lot of times it'll be connected to your own personal stuff that you're going through. Um, you know, this, this whole thing started from a place of pain in our family. Um, I was just in a session before this one with Kevin Gerald, and he talked about how we go through these tests and trials and, wouldn't it be nice if God gave us the emergency broadcast system alert like that we used to hear on the TVs, you know, the, the loud beeping to say, this is a test coming up. Well, the week of Thanksgiving didn't feel like a test. It felt like a 
tragedy to our family. It felt like a total blow. Um, it felt like, and I'm not saying God did that. I don't think he did. But what he's done is he's used some stuff that we're walking through in our own journey that we have still haven't figured out. By the way, sister still hasn't been healed. Uh, she's still going through treatment. Um, and uh, her attitude is amazing. Uh, she's like, hey, if God gets more glory for me to go through this entire treatment process, and then I can help others through it that don't get healed in that way, I'm, I'm all for that. Uh, but she's had faith for healing. We've, we've, you know, done all that we can. And so uh, that, I don't, I don't understand. I don't have a, I, I haven't been able to figure out uh, a lot of what's going on. She represents a whole lot of people in our church who haven't been healed yet, uh, who have come for prayer, who've full of faith and haven't been healed. It's interesting that a lot of the people that are being healed are fringe people or non-Christian people. Um, and uh, I'm telling you, we have seen so many people come to faith in Jesus through this process. Um, and uh, it turns out seven and a half hour services are very seeker sensitive uh, when, when Jesus is healing people in the midst of them. Uh, and so... I said, we can do this in a lot less than seven hours. <laughs> was eight hours. Yeah. Went home. I got home at three o'clock in the morning after that one. And, um, and it's not because we, so that one, we did two songs is all. Right, Tara? Two or three. Did we do two, two songs uh, and probably 20 minutes worth of teaching and talking. Uh, and so when we talk about these services, it's people just coming, people showing up after midnight because they've been watching online going, I want to get in for this. It's, it's what, you, what you think of when you read the New Testament, when Jesus is healing people and the crowds are just coming from all over because they want to experience it. And it's, it's been really, really remarkable. It's not that we've taken all this time. I mean, I, I'm praying shorter prayers right now than I've ever prayed in my life. Uh, and um, so some things I'm learning, one, follow Jesus. And I just encourage you guys with that. There may be some things you're going through or walking through right now that he could, he could do some pretty cool things out of if we would just give it to him and be open to his leading on that. Uh, I felt like the second thing God called me to is don't try to control this. Now, we have guardrails. Uh, we have our weekend services are an hour and seven minutes. Uh, and that, that leaves 23 minutes before the start of the next one. And so but, but we, like I said, we're making room for prayer. People are coming. We're and people are staying and praying up until the start of the next service. So it's, it's beautiful and it's amazing. But we're not, um, we're going to continue to go after God in the way that we always have. Seekos, we're talking about it. We're you know, excited about what God's doing. But we're going to continue to have guardrails. But, um, but I'm not going to try to control it. And that's, you know, you guys know this. Those of you that lead churches, lead anything. Uh, when it feels like it's out of control, I, I just feel very exposed. I feel like, man, we've got lots of staff and people that depend on this and great church. And we've got a lot of trust and equity that we've built in 31 years of, in the city. And it feels out of control. But I felt d the Lord said, don't, don't try to control this. You need to leave. And then the third thought was to make, continue to make room for my presence. Just continue to make room for my presence. And so I don't know what that looks like for you guys, but for us, it means we're going to keep doing these services. We're going to keep on, uh, and we're not trying to manufacture what happened before. Like I've made that very clear to our team. Like if this is over, it's going to be over. We'll move on and we'll continue. It'll, it'll be a great thing. I don't want it to be over. I want it to last forever. Um, but we're not going to go back trying to manufacture something that happened last month, but we will continue to make room for God's presence to move. Um, the temptation is to manufacture once it's done. Um, I'll give you a recent testimony of my own. So this past weekend, um, uh, some of our friends from uh, Europe who are here for the art conference were speaking for us, Great Church in Europe, and he was really excited about coming and experiencing what's going on. And so the first thing that happened was um, I asked Josh, who's on for worship this weekend? And this happened to be the one weekend out of the year where our college uh, worship school, uh, they lead worship. And I went, oh, no. I mean, I got my friend here, and that, that you know, it, it, and it was real, it wasn't good for me. Uh, I'm, I'm telling you, my attitude wasn't good. That's what I'm telling you. And they ended up doing a phenomenal, phenomenal job. And then the second thing was, while, while the worship is going on in the first service, I thought, well, what if the stuff doesn't happen? And I felt a pressure on me 
to produce the stuff. And immediately, I, th- I think it was the Lord that helped me to process that. But immediately there was a, you didn't start this? We're not, we're not trying to reproduce this. Josh said on the second uh, first Wednesday service, when we had the second healing service, he got up and he said right away, he said, we are not reproducing what happened last time. God wants to do something unique. He can do it. There may be some similarities, but we're, we're not reproducing it. So the temptation for me was to, was to own it and then feel like, oh, I got to do something to make this happen. And that's, no, we, we don't want that. But, but it's a temptation. Yeah. yeah. So, so that, that's our story. And um, uh, I, I've kind of referenced this, but I want to say it and I want to use a scripture to back it up. Um, I think the biggest difference for me happened before that service even happened. It was just hanging out with these guys for a day. And it was watching them live their lives as if the gospel is true uh, without the lens of disappointment. And, and so we're at a restaurant, we're at P.F. Chang's, I think, and um, we're praying for our server. And by the end of that night, she came back. It was very uncomfortable. She was like, no, I don't need prayer. She felt whatever put off. Well, she came back at the end of the night and said, I don't know what's going on here, but one of my coworkers asked me three weeks ago if he could pray for me. And I told him no. And then you guys just asked me if, if you could pray for me. And I told you no. And I just talked to my coworker and said, you're not gonna believe what's going on here, but these people just asked if we, they could pray for me. And my coworker said, well, it sounds like Jesus is trying to get your attention. And so we just said, so do you know him? And she said, who, my coworker? And I said, no, Jesus. And she said, no, I've never been to church. I've never been baptized. I don't know any, anything. I said, do you want to? Yeah. And she just starts crying and we pray with her literally, you know, 30 seconds and she gives her life to Jesus. And it was like, man, it's been a long time since I've seen that kind of thing happen. And I think it's more related to my inaction than it is what God is up to. And so I think if we can learn to not be weird, uh, not be, I mean, that was the easiest thing I've ever seen happen. Like it was the easiest salvation I think I've ever been a part of. Nobody tried to force that. Out. She just wanted to know Jesus and he was wanted to know her or wanted to get her attention. And it was, just, he was already at work. And so I think um, I can't find a place in scripture where my job is to doubt whether or not God wants to heal somebody. I can't find it in there. In fact, it's actually hard to find. You may be able to prove me wrong, but I haven't been able to find a place in scripture where Jesus asked the disciples to pray for the sick. That may seem a little crazy to you, but uh, if you look at Luke chapter nine, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He didn't say, go pray for the sick. He said, heal the sick. I've given you the authority already. You guys are carrying a credit card. We're carrying a credit card with Jesus' name on it. And we're afraid to use it. Like we, you know, like it doesn't have enough funds in the account. Um, And so again, I've prayed for way more people that haven't been healed than have. And so I'm telling you that there, but, but I'm so tempted to allow that to shape my theology. And so I think my job and our job when someone comes to us with sickness is to pray or is to, to command the sickness to leave, to use the authority that God has given us. And so my prayer life has changed. The language has changed. And I don't think it's a formula. I don't, I'm not suggesting that at all. I'm just suggesting that if we understood the authority that Jesus has given us as his co-heirs, as sons and daughters of Christ and would live in that authority, I think we would see a whole lot more of what we're starting to see right now. And so that's my personal challenge is, man, I just want to live in that way. And so uh, people come into my office and, and somebody said it today, and it's so true. Our job is to love people. And man, when, when you enter into somebody's pain, when you step in and pray and believe for healing and, and you go there, whether God heals them or not, that's his deal. Our job is to love them and to be attentive to him and to be obedient to the times he's called us to do it. And, um, and worst case is somebody felt very loved and felt included and felt valued um, and then best case is people are healed of some pretty amazing things. And so I have friends who have had death sentences who don't have them anymore right now. We all have a death sentence, right? And, and so that's the other thought for me is there's got to be a bigger purpose behind healing than just bodies being, uh, I don't know, in your cities, we're still right around 100% mortality rate in Charleston, um, even with these healings. And so there's got to be more going on. And for us, we're just seeing a lot of people open up to the gospel 
because of signs and wonders. And I challenge you to read the New Testament and find where that isn't exactly what Jesus was doing. Um, he, he loves to heal people in order to show them how much he loves them and in order for them to see him and receive uh, the gospel and the good news. And so um, we're just seeing it lived out in a really powerful way. Um, we don't have, we have way more questions than we have answers. We don't know what this is going to look like three months from now at Seacoast. We're going to continue to make room and open ourselves up for him to move and, um, and, and uh, see what happens. And so I thought, I don't know if you want to add anything. I thought it'd be good to do some Q&A if you guys have any questions. Um, so, yeah. There are no questions. Yeah, there's lots of them. Why don't we... Um, Uh, coming from a charismatic background, um, I've seen it, a lot of it, all of it, <laughs> but, uh, so these services people are being prayed for, are there, is it, you know, music going all night? Is it people laying on the floor? Is it, you know, what, what's, what is it, uh, people doing laps? I mean, what's going on? So, um, so our friends from England turned to me during our service this weekend and he said, you know, every revival has a name, you know, kind of a deal, the Toronto blessing that he says it's Seacoast. It's the laid back revival. <laughs> it's just as calm and chill. And yet God is doing, and let me tell you a funny one. Okay. This is the first night. Would you agree with that? It's kind of a laid back. Pretty, pretty laid back. Yeah. Yeah. So the first night, uh, Micah, our guitar player is the first guy that gets saved. Or the first guy that got healed, got healed a year ago. Yeah. We don't even know if he's saved yet. No. So. Is that even necessary for a worship leader? You know, I don't know. No, no. I didn't say that. It was for Tara there. But um, so he loves, I mean, he'll put his guitar down and he's as, he's as calm. It's not like a show, you know, he just, he's a rock, he's a rock guitar player that's just, a heart that is as precious as the day is long. He'll lay his guitar down. He'll sneak down into the prayer things to be praying for people. Well, the lines are so long. I'm frantic that we get everybody prayed for, right? And so, um, and so I grab Micah. This is that first night. And there's a guy that has come from Atlanta or somewhere that used to go to our church, lives in Atlanta. He has tumors, I believe. Wasn't that the case? A lot of tumors. And so he wanted to be prayed for, and it's a couple hours into it, and uh, into the prayer time. So we're talking 11 o'clock at night. And um, so I told Micah, I said, Micah, uh, th this guy's never going to get up to there. Would you pray for him? So he does. And so I turn around to help somebody else. And you say, well, why aren't you praying? Well, I, I'm trying to, but people are going, no, I'm fine. I want these two. You know, that, that. <laughs> there was a little we, bit of we, that. The we had to night. stave off the spirit of rejection quite a bit. Yes, we did. <laughs> people walk past their pastors to go yeah. get prayed for by somebody else. Yeah. Now we've kind of leveled that out a little bit. But anyway, so I turn around to help somebody else and I hear a thud. Well, we've got cement floors and people don't get slain in the spirit in our church. And I turn around and this big guy, he's a big guy. He's laying on the floor face down, boom, like this. And there's a group around him, and Micah is down, right down on the floor in his face. And he looks up and he says, he's alive. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> that's how naive we are to all this stuff. We don't know how it's supposed to work. So, so come to find out, before the guy went down, I should have put this part in. Micah asked him, he prayed for him several times, and the tumors are still there. And as far as I know, they may still be. But Micah said, is there any other manifestation? He said, well, I, I haven't been able to sleep in, you know, months, insomnia. So Micah goes down again. He's down there for a while, and he comes back up, and he says, he's out like a light. He's snoring. He is snoring on the ground, which was just, it was just an amazing, amazing thing. So all our answers won't be that long, but it's a real laid-back kind of. But there have been some. There have been a few people that have gone down, and it's kind of like, Okay, well, well, we're not after that. That's not our goal whatsoever. But, um, but there have also been some demonic manifestations. Um, and here's my theory on that. Uh, 
Well, I, well I'm not going to get into a whole theory on it, but I do think that, again, that is not our goal. Uh, the enemy, I believe there's a little bit of demonic that shows up when this stuff happens. The enemy's wanting to get involved, but um, we don't we don't give a whole lot of attention to that. It's just, uh, hey, get out of here and we'll pray that they be filled with the spirit, that they confess Jesus as their Lord and it's it's gone. And it's like not a big deal. And I feel like, uh, I, I love it in a sense that I feel like the enemy's been harassing and all over somebody and to see them freed up from that is cool, but we're not going after that stuff. But the reality is there's a little bit more of that than there had been in the past. And we're just training our leaders and you know we're not gonna give the enemy space to show make a show out of what we're doing and what God's doing. We've got a theory that I borrowed from another friend of mine, uh, wrote about in the paper, is that in moves like this, seems to be about 70% God and 20% flesh and 10% the devil. And so we've told our congregation that and just said, you know what? Because people will say that seemed a little weird. Occasionally there's a little weird. And we'll go, you know, I think you're right. I think that is a little weird. Now these are good people, but they're just, sometimes they have a background that that's kind of what they did or whatever. We're starting to see a little bit of that, but we just kind of explain it and go, you know, that's where it is. Um, so first off, thank you so much for, I mean, this session. Um, so last year, my wife and I launched a church and we had, I have a like Pentecostal background, but I'm very analytical engineering degree, even though I, you know, I passed the church. I, I, I still love people. You know what I mean? But like, <laughs> um, and, and I believe, you know, in the power and baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, but there was, there were some people who were involved in our church from the very beginning who were super like, prophetic out there, you know, and I literally told my wife the same thing you said. I was like, I believe in the power of God. I pray in tongues at the, at the house. Like, I believe in it, but I don't know if I know how to fix this if it goes wrong. You know what I mean? Um, and so I, there are so many questions, but I guess one that I would ask is whenever you are praying, you're seeing all these people healed, but then you know, you have someone that you pray for and it, it doesn't seem to like, they, they don't get healed right there. Is it like, uh, well, let's, let's try it again a little longer. Is it just like, well, come back next first Wednesday. Like, is it like, how do you navigate, navigate that? Cause that's a little bit of what yeah. I'm afraid of. Well, ask a question, but I'm gonna give you an answer to one that you're asking about that prophetic person, put them on your prayer team. Don't give them a microphone. Don't, don't give them a visible leadership. But man, we need some crazy people on our prayer team in the best sort of way. I'm just telling you, we've, we've always allowed, to ha- allowed room for those people to be in our church. And I think some of them have a gift of intercessory prayer. Uh, they're intercessors. And so find a place where they can pray, um, but be careful not to let them set the culture of the church. And so that's, that's just a uh, learning that we've made over the years. But then as far as that goes, uh, I told you my sister still hadn't been healed of, of cancer. She's still in treatment. In fact, we got worse news this week. Again, it's not, it's not terminal news. It's just we thought it was just in one breast, and it, it's now in a lymph node as well. And so w- we feel their pain, and so I think that helps that we've given expression to that too. And my thing is I don't know what trip around the walls of Jericho we're on during this prayer, but I'm going to choose not to doubt, and I'm not going to stop praying and so just because you didn't get healed. Now, there are times that we'll pray over something and we'll ask them, hey, did you feel anything? No, okay, well, let's, let's pray again. And oftentimes on that second prayer, something happens, but it's not us. And again, our prayers are very short. We're, not, we're committed that we're not gonna try to put on a show for, for God. That's kind of what the prophets of Baal did and it didn't work out very well. But our deal is just, this is the authority you've been given. Cancer, go. Cancer, die. We curse you in Jesus' name. Spirit of infirmity, go. You're gone. Uh, we, you know, so it's just simple, quick prayer, healing prayer. Um, and then uh, we teach at Seacoast for the believer, everyone gets healed. We believe that. Uh, now, some people get healed supernaturally. We're seeing a whole lot more of that right now than we ever have. Uh, some people get healed through medicine. Big believer in medicine, by the way. Like, I, I don't think you have to forsake medicine in order to believe for God to heal. Like, big believer in medicine. Uh, some of y'all may not believe that, but we are. And so we... I think that it's amazing we live in a time where God has gifted people with minds to to find permanent solutions to some of these problems that were killing people decades ago. And so I don't think we have to forsake that in order to believe God. And then thirdly, 
some people are healed through heaven. Uh, and, you know, I think obviously we have to keep that perspective. I'm, I said it earlier, but everybody's still dying. Uh, I think God cares about our soul more than he cares about our body, but it's a gift that he's using these healings in the body to get to people's soul. Um, and so, uh, so we teach that. And, but, but if that's the case, then my, again, my job is never to stop praying and never to stop believing. And so I'll, I'll follow up with people uh, every week. And it's like, hey, have you, you still, still hurting there? Are you still dealing with that cancer yet? Let's pray again. Let's just pray and believe. And we're not going to get stuck in the disappointment. We're going to just continue to pray and believe. And I think there will be some cool stories of people that get healed, um, you know, on their way home. We've actually had a ton of those. I won't get into it. But man, that live stream uh, that we of that first service and the second one, we have people that watched it weeks later across the country that have had, had supernatural healings just watching the service and building up faith and believing and praying and so it's been really cool. Questions, yeah. A few times you mentioned you have uh, guide rails, I think is the word you used in place for these services. I was wondering if you could just sort of quickly kind of run through those and what that is because we're having Holy Spirit move a lot in our church and we're trying to figure out how does this work on a Sunday or when Holy Spirit does move, what do you have in place that sort of helps keep it decent and in order, but still Holy Spirit is being Holy Spirit. So if you just sort of go through the guide route. I have, so the time of service, I think we can get real, I, I think there, again, everybody's a little different, but if you're doing more than about an hour, 45 minutes, it's probably a little too long. We do an hour six, probably we'll go to an hour 15 when we don't have to cram so many services in. So that's a guardrail. Like we're not going to violate that confidence that people trust us that they'll get out of there on time. Um, and then we train our prayer leaders. We're having a lot of people come from other churches. A lot of people are coming from outside of Seacoast right now. And it's great. Uh, they're, they're wonderful people. We're not putting them on our prayer teams. Uh, we're not, you know, because they come, like Dad said, with different expectations, different backgrounds. So we're being real protective of our prayer team. Now, we did a prayer training after that first one. I can't get 20 people to show up to a prayer training meeting, y'all. I mean, we have 15,000 people in the church. We had 300 people show up to our prayer training meeting. And so people are like, man, I want some of this. I want to be able to do it. So we're just doing training. And again, I mentioned one of them, like we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on uh, demonic manifestations. We're going to shut it down and, and move, move on. Um, and then on these Wednesday nights when we're making room, our thought is nobody came there uh, everybody knew what they were coming to. And so those nights we have a lot more flexibility. We're going to be a little bit more like that's what they came for. And so we're not going to shut that down or, you know. We had, uh, we had a lady uh, after one of our, or toward the end of one of our services on the weekend that she's she was la loud when nobody else was loud, you know, kind of a deal. And uh, we just kind of went right over it. And um, somebody came, another lady came in and said, didn't we quench the spirit there? And I said, here's the deal. I went through the 70, 20, 10, and I said, part of the role of the elders in the church is to, is to put guardrails up and kind of judge that. And I said, our judgment was wonderful lady. That was flesh. We don't think it was God. Wonderful lady. And this lady goes, oh, okay. She felt safe. She wanted to know, but she felt safe because there were guardrails. Do two more questions if yeah. you can squeeze them in. Sure. And I'm just kind of helping to moderate. I'm not here to give my opinion. Uh, one of the thoughts I had as you all were talking is one of the filters or guardrails that we use in our church is the reality is the Holy Spirit will never draw attention away from himself. Yeah. He only draws attention to himself. That's right. So when people are acting in a way that all of the eyes in the room go to them, that's not God. Yeah. That's not that's the Holy good. Spirit. And so we shut that down really quick. Yeah, that's Two great. more. Can we squeeze yeah, two in? Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's more like a comment or a testimony because our church has been experiencing the same thing. And um, I was a skeptical one. At the same time, I was getting frustrated because when I got saved, it was in a Pentecostal church in California, uh, ex-gangsters. And we just believed and we just moved forward. Whatever the words say, we did it. And as time went by, and I think because uh, things just started getting out of control throughout the churches, I started to get that in, inner frustration, and I get emotional because it happened last year here at the, at the art conference where before I came, I heard a voice tell me, 
God, um, you're going to hear a word. So I was really looking for someone to come and just pray for me or any, I, I, I just felt somebody was going to say something to me. But what I actually experienced in the whole crowd outside with thousands of people talking, I heard a voice call my name. And, and I heard it above all the noise that was here. And I didn't, I didn't catch it until I went to a conference, again, skeptical of this person that I was told he, he, the Lord uses to heal people. And I'm like, yeah, okay, you know, because I had lost that, that faith. But I knew it was real, and I just didn't, I was getting frustrated because I, I didn't see it anymore. Um, but then I realized that that voice that I heard, that I heard was going to say something to me. I was looking at it in the flesh. Instead, it was God speaking to me. And I think what, we're, we're, what I, I'm starting to see, and, and I see it in my church, is it's starting to be open more and listening to the voice of God when he yeah. speaks to us. And be sensitive, and when he says to pray, because I, I, I found that when I know God has told me, go and pray for that person. And I think that's where all the whole miracles, and, all, and it's happening in our church, and it's, it's happening. It's awesome. It's great. <laughs> okay. So you had a question. Here you go. Okay, kind of just touching on um, what she said about keeping the faith um, when he doesn't. You know, there's, um, I have a, my big brother is a heroin addict and there's just lots of generational curses and dysfunction in my family. So I guess a tangible miracle I have yet to see personally in my life or family, um, but I see it all around for others. So the jealousy there sits in sometimes, and I think the enemy just kind of captures that in me. So how how can I capture those thoughts and just stay stay the course and stay faithful and stay believing? And how do you yeah, how do you do that? You know. <laughs> I relate to you, as I said, with, with Jenny's deal. And I think the ultimate question is, where are those thoughts coming from? Uh, the jealousy, the disappointment, are those God thoughts or are those thoughts that are coming out of our own you know, disappointment? And so I think that the spirit that lives inside of us believes for a breakthrough. You know, I believe for your brother, a breakthrough is coming, that freedom's coming from that disease. I believe our spirits cry out for that. And then we all have our own doubts, our own flesh that kind of gets in the way of that. And so try to discern, God, is this your thought or is this coming from somewhere else? And if it is, then, you know, I'll probably have to do it a hundred times a day. And so certain things, areas of this great disappointment, but it's like, no, that's not a God thought. So I'm, God, you have a thought that's better than that thought. What's your thought about this? And, and trying to hang on to that and just have faith for that. I think that, um, I think our spirits are in agreement with God's word they're in agreement with God's plan. And our, our job is to try to align ourselves as best we can with, with that and, and take those. But it's not, I mean, gosh, I think giving voice to it even as leaders and acknowledging to our church that, hey, we're, by the way, we're, we haven't seen our miracle yet. Um, it helps because uh, I don't want there to be an elitist group. These guys got healed. These guys didn't. Then you start going, well, is there something wrong with me? Did I not pray it right? Do I have, you know, all that stuff. And Jesus said, you just have to have the faith the size of a mustard seed. So I'm going to assume it's not a faith issue. Uh, I'm going to assume that maybe he has a bigger picture and his timing's different than mine, but I'm going to keep believing uh, for his healing and his word to come. So, um, but praying for healing and freedom for your brother and for that general generational curse to be, or to be broken. Yeah. So. I just thought maybe Josh should pray over us. Yeah. Well, I want to do that. And I also want to encourage you, um, several friends of ours, uh, one of them is Naeem Fazel Mosaic Church up in Charlotte, uh, Tim Blevins in Wilmington, North Carolina, have just kind of been hearing about it. We've been sharing our story. Both of them have done uh, services. I don't know what they call them, if they call them miracle services or healing services, kind of on a non-normal service time. And both of them have had unbelievable expressions of God's spirit and God's movement uh, in their, their time together. And so I just want to encourage you not to do what we did, but to just, if God's kind of prompting, if there's something going on, if you're like, be open to, to doing, taking a step that's outside of the, the normal routine of your church. Um, you know, the, the Marys and uh, Salome went to uh, the, the tomb 
for a ritual and they left with a miracle. And I think a lot of us, our services, we're so ritualistic in what we do. We do our thing, do something out of the ordinary and, and see if God doesn't just show up in a powerful way in your churches. But I'd love to pray for you guys. And, um, and dad and I aren't going anywhere. So if, if you guys have more questions after that, we can continue to answer them. But God, I just pray that what you're doing in our church would just be the beginning. God, we just pray that you continue to move by your spirit, uh, that you continue to pour your love out onto your, your people, uh, that you continue to draw people who are far away from you to yourself, that you continue to heal people miraculously and supernaturally, not for the glory of any church or any name, but for your glory, uh, that people are gonna know your love because of what you're doing. And I pray that you would multiply what you're doing in Charleston into every city in this room, uh, into every city in this country, God, that into every city that there's an ark church. We just pray that you would continue to move and give us faith, Lord, to believe you for more, uh, to believe you for more, God. Let us, again, like we talked about this morning, dream bigger dreams around this area because you're gonna do more than what we could ask or imagine. You're doing it already in our midst, God. And I just pray uh, that whatever is happening, God, whatever spirit that is going on in Charleston, we just give it away freely. Uh, freely we receive and freely we give. And we just uh, declare your anointing and your healing over the people in this room. I pray for illnesses that are represented in this room. I pray, Lord, uh, that if cancer is in this room, that it would be gone and cursed in Jesus' name. Pray for healing of bodies, God. We pray, we know that uh, you said to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We know there's not sickness in heaven. We know that's not your idea. And so we just pray against it and rebuke it in Jesus' name and pray that you would just release healing and that we would be full of your spirit and that we would continue to move. And God, I pray, Lord, that the story that would be told about all of that's happening right now would ultimately be that so much more happened outside of the walls of our churches than inside because of people walking away with confidence that you can use them, that we can hear your voice and that we can operate under the authority that you've given us. And so we bless these men and women in this room. Uh, we just pray that you continue to use them in powerful ways in Jesus name. Amen.